So, Glyn. Hello, David. It's that stage of the, the podcast again where we, we start like this. That's how we, this is how we seem to start. Or yeah, last time started, I called you really. Mr. Doggett. This time I called you just Glyn. We're more informal today. So next time it's just going to be surnames, which is kind of how we are used to being referred to. So yeah. that would be fine. You know, That's true. Um, here we are again for another More Than Mostly Comedy podcast. Yes. It's exciting. Yeah. And this one with Rory Bremner. Really exciting. Yeah, yeah. really good fun. Yeah. Like when we started doing uh, these uh, Zoom interview things, and admittedly this is only the second one, albeit we've got quite a few lined up. Um, I like For me personally, I thought, well, this is someone I'd like to get. You know, and because he's a nice guy, I thought, well, he might say yes. Uh, and yeah. he did. And uh, I've, I mean, an incredibly inspiring individual um, makes you want to know more about everything, really, because he's so obviously politically minded. But um, but a really inspiring guy and a very nice guy as well. Re- really nice. Yeah. And I think we've been very um, it's, it's hard to say the word fortunate in a, such a horrible situation that we're in at the moment. But mm. to have the opportunity to do interviews like this is something we probably wouldn't have even considered no. without the sort of forced nature of being locked down and not being able to do mostly comedy live. Because with the with the previous recordings, previous podcasts from years ago, they were done because an act was at mostly comedy. We'd interview them behind the scenes before they went on, after they went on. It was all very yeah. rushed. It was all very in the moment, very quick. And then what we'd planned to do was live stage interviews, but that involved the process of booking someone to do their act to mm. then obviously agree to stay behind to then to do an interview as well which is again quite a kind of commitment for a performer because they've got to kind of know they've got a routine know that they've got something to do for the audience before they then do the interview yeah. so to be in this position where we can just say to people that we really admire can you just talk to us for an hour is is fantastic and it's um and Rory Bremner was, is a case in point of someone who we've been desperate to do this with and it's nice to finally get that opportunity yeah, definitely. And, and obviously, like sort of linking to what you're saying, a lot of people, when they come to Mostly, they come, obviously, with, a, a, and I mean this in a positive sense, with an agenda. Because if they're working up, like when Rory first came to Mostly, he was working up a touring show, I think. And then when yeah. he second came, he was working up the Edinburgh show with Jam Ravens. So they're coming with the thought of, OK, yeah, doing a gig, but also working up material. So it's quite hard mm. to say to people, oh, could you also do an interview? Because they're so focused yeah. on new ideas that they don't yeah. really want uh, you know or and like you say if it's a commitment if you're doing both so um i don't think or i mean maybe but i don't think we would have been able to do this uh, maybe now because he's been a few times but you know initially because yeah. it would have just been it's not really something you can get across so yeah like you say to actually right. say well specifically we want to just talk to you for a bit of time and hear about what you do is and him say yes is is, is a privilege really absolutely um, yeah and it's yeah. a nice way. And I do, you know, obviously when we get to doing the live shows, the live podcasts as we intend to with the new regenerated podcast, it'd be lovely to do that. But this is a really good way in the interim to do a similar thing, but maybe delve a little bit deeper as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's a great interview. So um, it is a great interview. Yeah. Yeah. And that's purely is, our yeah. interviewing technique, Glenn. We are like yeah, and I, yeah, well. Parkinson <laughs> on speed. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, no, I'm not sure about that. We're like Wogan on Pepto-Bismol. That's what we are. Um, so he's, he's not feel, not feeling nauseous. No, um, no. But yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about, Glyn. Um, let's listen to this interview that we just did this evening. And let's do that. Let that take over and, and listen to the wonderful Rory Bremner. Here we go. We're gonna we're gonna mark it to start and then we'll we'll get officially going, shall we? Right, yeah. here we go. Three, two, one. Ooh. See, it's the magic of recording. Well, that is the that is the worst tribute to our key workers that I have seen. Are they, are they, yeah, That's it now, isn't it? You know, they, they are, these people, they are working night and day 
uh, in our in our ICUs and in our care, and and you just you one derisory clap, shame on you. It's all we've ever got whenever we performed, Rory. Actually, is we're one used, clap. Yeah. So we're used it's to. What it, we're so. used to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, I had a friend who got a clap in Hitchin, but never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something yeah. different. I think we know the person. Um, mm. So, Rory, oh, well, we... No. well, we we will track and trace them. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> when we get it sorted. Anyone that you've been, I think they should do that with Boris actually to find out how many children he really does have. So I think they should track <laughs> and trace anybody who's come into contact with Boris. <laughs> Who yeah, actually has yeah. a habit of celebrating whenever he's promoted? He seems to find a, a female assistant somewhere, and 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 you know stuff stuff happens. And nine yeah. months later, other stuff happens. So <laughs> this is uh, true. if you have if you've been in contact uh, with with myself, um, uh, then you may get onto our our track and trace uh, program. And if you haven't <laughs> been in contact, uh, it's a good idea to distance yourself. Uh, and I think two meters, uh, well, anything longer than anything longer than a foot let's say yeah or, or running to durham apparently that's the, that's, yes that's about the new measurement distance. yeah see, i i misheard that i thought he'd gone to see barbara castle and then I thought, <laughs> yeah. very very um, strange but barbara castle somebody's been uh gabrielle has been reminding me um i think they did it on have, have i got news for you but it has historically the, the it's part of a proverb or something yeah, I saw that. Say, yeah that's barnard castle and that means uh that's uh that's just a really bad excuse yeah. Um, so really? I mean, this is fantastic, isn't it? Wonderful. There are certain things where you think, um, you know, whoever's in charge of the universe has got a sense yeah. of humour because how? I mean, I to, to make Barnard Castle uh, a historical um, expression yeah. for a very bad excuse, you couldn't make that up. A no. note to Dominic Cummings: Maybe Google it first and check there aren't any like bad connotations. Yeah. What you say? Um, it's just, yeah. yeah. You'd be googling all night. Yeah. So, how are you uh, finding this whole lockdown scenario, Rory? Yes. Is it... Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm lucky. Cause I sort of live out in the country, and it's kind of self-contained, and and um, it's it's okay. I mean, it's been a lot of podcasts, a lot of sort of tweeting. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I did a Boris tweet the other day, and um, you kind of do this thing, thinking, okay, well, this is an idea, and in the absence of live comedy, I'll just put this out there. And about two days later, it's gone over a million views. You think, oh, right. it's extraordinary, and it just there is an appetite. You know, people saying that laughter is the best medicine, although. You know, I think probably if you've got Corona, then maybe hydroxychloroquine. You could try hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> very, very yeah. good. Or you could shine a torch up your ass or Dettol or, or bleach. You're really good, a lot of bleach, you know, anything you can find under the sink. You know, yeah. if you could, if you look under your sink and you could find Dettol or bleach or, or maybe a hooker uh, or maybe a Russian <laughs> prostitute, uh, whatever you find. And if you just inject yourself, it's very, very good. So yeah, make that stuff up. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing sort of quite a few podcast interviews like this one. Um, and uh, Mark Nicholas does a very good one called Rain Delay. And he had people like Piers Morgan who actually came out of it very well. And Gary Lineker and Mervyn King, he's done uh, ones with those. And um, yeah, and sort of tweeting. And I did a thing with Matt Ford the other day, which might uh, see the light of day one day. Oh, um, I saw that. Wasn't he being Trump and you were being uh, Boris? Um, I yeah, know. strangely, I was I was being Boris uh, and he, Matt Ford, was being Trump. Yeah, and so we did a sketch, which was written by Stephen Merchant, funnily enough. Right. And yeah. uh, the idea is that uh, our computers have mapped our faces. Uh, we did this in the old days. Anyone who's familiar with the um, Channel 4 shows that we did, we had a sort of hologram Mandelson. And before I did that, I had to have a camera pointed at my face and I had to do various expressions and the computer mapped my face and mapped various features uh, when I smile or when I open my mouth like that. And it then sort of calibrated that and matched it to computer um, 
footage for this artificial Mandelson, but they can now do this with the real footage of Trump and Boris. Um, it's done in the States called deep fake. Um, right. And the result, apparently, you cannot see the join. So we'll right. just see how that goes. So it's kind of terrifying in a way. That very remotely, it's rather a weird way of working because Matt, um, you'll know Matt Ford, I guess. You guys will, but some of the audience yeah. will as well. And he, um, you know, I was saying, you asked me how I was and we were in the country and we're fine. Um, Matt has, uh, I think, severe asthma. Right. And he uh, is in a first floor flat in North London somewhere and had not been out of his flat for 10 weeks right crazy oh, 10 weeks I, know. I mean the mental health impact of all of this not least well, this is it, isn't it? Just yeah. yeah yeah just, to, just uh, to have any kind of garden or outdoor space in this lockdown has just been a godsend but yeah you, when yeah. you think if you're out in a flat and you're you can't even and you can't leave because you've got um underlying health conditions and it's horrendous so that's you know those are the people that you think about to yeah and that's kind yeah. of uh they instantly i got sort of typical twitter i had got a hard time for about three or four weeks ago i said you know could we not unlock some of the garden centers and things uh, and people pile in they say oh you know you posh people with gardens and this that and it's not because it's not wasn't even about gardens i mean people have window no. boxes they have um hanging baskets so they have you know a fish tank you know little sort of fish mm. tank Corner of the, and it means so much not you know not kidding it means such a lot to people and mm. funnily enough you know one trip to the garden center um can keep people at home for the next sort of or 10 days or two weeks because you know they're putting the plants mm. in and they're watering them so um mm. i'm sounding a bit like alan titchmarsh now aren't <laughs> i the things that you can do i mean you know because they sell more that you know they sell fish but don't plant the fish because uh, you know, that's a good idea, unless the soil is very, very wet, um, because they don't want people to carp. Um, but anyway, uh, so, but, you know, it's, again, that's Twitter for you, because people kind of got the wrong end of the stick, and they just said, you know, why, what are you talking about, and what about the employees? But actually, if you talk to the employees at the garden centre, um, you know, they, they, again, they love being back to some kind of normal, and they're able to... They, they, they some common sense, although I think it was funny when Boris started talking about the great British common sense. Immediately, people started sending that tweet around of the guy who'd shoved eight cream eggs off his arse. Yes, I saw that, yeah. yeah <laughs> the yeah. great British yeah. common sense. So, so there you go. But um, yeah, I felt I, it really sort of brought me up short when I heard that Matt had uh, literally not left for 10 weeks. And of course, it's affected the comedy community in our sort of massively neck of the yeah. woods with, with, well, with not just in terms of our shows, but um, the last show I did was uh the last sort of big theater show i did was with i'm sorry i haven't a clue with him brooke taylor i, oh, I was going to say about that yes yeah that was back in was that recent how recent was that boring in january it was great wow. uh, with jack d obviously hosting and miles mm. and me and uh, when i couldn't do some uh, richard osman did some and tony hawks and they were really good fun and tim brooke taylor of course was there yeah. every night and just the, the affection, the love the audience has had for him. And obviously that goes back to the goodies. I remember meeting mm -hmm. Tim when I was 13, 14, and getting the book signed. Mm -hmm. uh, the three of them turned up to Edinburgh and they did a book signing and had no idea, of course, that 40 years later, I'd be lucky enough to be doing you know, shows with him. And mm -hmm. he was lovely, sweet man, funny, gentle, self-deprecating. And Miles and I were just interrogating one evening um, in the bar and uh, talking about the Quentin Tarantino movie, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. um, about the Sharon Tate murders. And um, and Tim said, oh, yeah, yeah I, 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 I work with Sharon Tate. Uh, we were working in Hollywood on a, we were doing a film with Orson Welles. He thought, yeah, hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were in a film with yeah. Sharon Tate, directed by Orson Welles. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't being boastful. He was just mm. another 
thing that happened in his extraordinary life. And you know, I yeah. sort of even thought at the time of him as the sixth uh, Python in some ways right. because you had. Uh, you know, you had you, you had John Cleese, and you know there, there's you know Gilliam and Palin, and but you know in a strange sort of way he was um, very important to me. He was in John Cleese's book. You read almost every other page as a reference to Tim because he was in so many of the shows they did at Cambridge and the radio shows they did subsequently. Because you know he was just so naturally funny and a good performer. And, <laughs> You know, he was sort of, and he was very cheap as well. So that was really very good. <laughs> did you ever get to have the conversation with Tim about the fact that you got the autograph? Um, did you tell him that? Yes, yes I did. And Graham, um, who uh, I've known now for years, Graham, who is another, I mean, everyone knows him for the goodies, but he's a really unsung hero um, as far as uh, comedians are concerned because, you know, the unbelievable truth. Uh, yeah. He and John Naismith, who invented, uh, who not invented, he and John Naismith, who are to the brains behind Clue, uh, John Naismith being the, the producer, if I'm sorry, I have a clue. Um, and they were together, they, they were behind um, The Unbelievable Truth, which uh, David Dave Mitchell uh, hosts, and also behind The Imitation Game, which we did on television uh, a year or two ago with Alexander Armstrong as a kind oh, of panel yeah. game for well, that was good, that, yeah. Yeah, like they enjoyed it on ITV. Mm. We did it for a series, and then they've chopped it because um, you know they haven't. I think it's because I think it's because it's it, it's it's a um, too big a budget for too small a, a a slot, as it were. Because you know executives they tend to think in terms of budgets and slots, and that's kind of that's the yeah. way they are. And I would think we should. I would have loved to have another series of that because I think mm. we could loosen it up a little bit, made it a bit more spontaneous, and certainly more topical because we actually. We ended up filming that um, something like nine or ten months before it went out. Right. And you know, for me, I'm sort of you know bouncing off the ceiling, thinking what's going to happen in these nine or ten months. Yeah. You know, if David Attenborough, for some reason, anything happens to him or Trump, you never know what he's going to do. So it suddenly looks very non-topical. You need to be, you know, you need to be recording, you know, within three or four days. Yeah, I was because I was gonna, I remember when you did mostly comedy for us the first time. I think you were talking about having just recorded it. And in saying exactly that, but I was going to say to you afterwards how how spontaneous was it as a show, or was it kind of you had to pre-plan who's going to do what when? And... It was pretty. Uh, it was it was pretty strict um, mm. because being the first series, we wanted to get it right uh, and wanted to make it funny. And mm. um, you know, John's particular strength with, with Clue is you know you you. Um, with particularly the live shows, funnily enough, it's got to work. And if it's a radio show, you know, the, it's got to work. And he wants to have, he wants to know before you do the shows, before you do the joke, that it's going to oh, work. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not, you know, from a producer's point of view, that's absolutely fine because, you know, then, you know, you will get a lot of high quality material. But what you will miss is a certain amount of spontaneity. And John would know that as well because, you know, it is, it is that the banter. I mean, banter um, is not my favorite word. I mean, I, I kind of think there's a lot, a lot of dross that passes, you know, a, a banter as bants or banter but i think if if spontaneity and uh i mean genius you know those sort of synaptic things that just happen in a moment between mm. comedians between performers the kind of stuff for example i mean you know lee mack is so good at yeah. with and david incredibly sharp, uh, and so, rob yeah. on i mean he's so sharp and you know i partly think that's partly because of his um you know he's just the way his brain is wired we can maybe get onto that later on mm. but um he's just he's quick and i think the show allows for that and people love to have that feeling that 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 came from nowhere that that yeah. that, uh, that was a little bit of magic that happened in the moment and you don't want to have too much where the audience is going you know oh this was this has been 
you know, almost gone through a committee before it's been uh, put on air. When you were doing, say, the shows you did for Channel 4, like the Bremer, Burden, Fortune things, how, how quick was the turnaround for that? Because obviously you were dealing with topical um, yeah. comedy. Yeah, well, that was, it was, oh, I just, I loved those days. But what we, what we did was literally on a Monday morning, Jeff Atkinson, who's a producer who did things like, Hi, honey, I'm home years ago for B Sky B. Right. Extraordinary. I mean, can you imagine? It was a documentary where Alfred Marx, it was, I think. Um, uh, and he was, um, he was playing um, Hitler's Jewish neighbour in right. Burbank, California, in the 1950s <laughs> or so. And it, it was just some extraordinary, really weird, completely politically incorrect um, <laughs> idea. I think it was, I think it was that somehow or other Hitler had ended up in, in, in Burbank, California, and he had a Jewish neighbor, and, and it was called Hal Honey, I'm Home. Right. And Paul Jackson, um, of course, you know, who's one of the sort of triumvirate. There were great TV producers when I started. There was Paul Jackson, who was behind The Young Ones. There was John Lloyd, who was behind Blackadder and Spitting Image and Not the Nine O'Clock News. And there was Jeff Posner, who was behind uh, Lenny Henry. Red Dwarf. And and Wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so, yeah, and Jeff did this show for Paul Jackson. Anyway, um, so Jeff was my producer, um, still is, all the way through from... Um, the turn of the century, <laughs> uh, so ninety well earlier ninety two, um, and so Monday morning uh, I'd arrive, he'd arrive, we'd sit opposite a desk at each other, and go, what are we going to do this week? What are we going to do? <laughs> and we'd had to have some ideas, but as John Fortune said, the great thing about working in pairs is that you only have to have half an idea. John used to say very modestly, and so Jeff would look at me, I'd look at him, and he'd have some ideas. He always had many more ideas than I did. Um, and he'd say, for example, like in this, the, the Diana thing, for example, you know, if there'd be need for the Panorama interview, um, and he'd say, look, you're gonna have to do Diana this week. And I'd go, ooh, ooh, okay, boss, all right. Um, but if we were doing it now, there might be something, you know, you've got to do something about Trump and the Bible and the whole um, George Floyd thing. Mm. Uh, what else are you gonna do? There might be something about what's Boris up to this week. There might be, um, uh, I'm trying to think about sort of other things which is topical and um, so essentially what we had to do is we had to think of about eight characters or seven or eight characters because you could only do seven or eight characters in makeup um, so you'd have to think right which characters are we going to do this week and where are we going to set them and literally as we were having that conversation almost so sort of mapping out roughly which characters we were going to do what sketches we were going to do the crew would be meeting next door eating their way through plates and plates of croissants and drinking the coffee and stuff like that and once we'd finished our meeting jeff would go in and he'd say to the makeup department he'd say listen we need to do trump this week we've got to do diana this week we need a wig for boris yeltsin this week uh we think rory might be doing keir starmer this week so you know makeup would be briefed uh costume would be told you know that we need to do these um but the location people would be told right okay we're going to go to somewhere just on the edge of the m25 um not far from hitchin we used to go to a place called um God, it's gone out of my head now. Um, anyway, um, and but going out, there, it was outside London, which is very noisy if you're trying to film. Um, and we would have one room that could be in those days, could be Tony Blair's office. Uh, we'd use the stables maybe for a Prince Charles sketch. Um, there would be a hallway which we could use as the White House and dress it with a sort of flag. Um, so for those George Bush and Condoleezza Rice sketches. So we could use all these different locations. Um, so off, uh, and that was for the Wednesday. Um, so. We had the ideas on Monday with Jeff and I that would send Monday and Tuesday writing the sketches between the two of us. And, you know, so I would literally write on a piece of paper. I've got to write that sketch by 11 o'clock, that sketch by one o'clock, that sketch by 2.30. Then I to try and keep my mind organized. On the Tuesday afternoon, John Langdon, my script editor, who sadly died um, 
about two months ago now. Um, he was my absolute, you know, God, my friend, my right-hand man, my co-writer, mm. my inspiration, all of that. And he would come in on a Tuesday because his great strength was rewriting and editing. And we would take every script and we would go through every dot, every comma, every word and rewrite and get it right for the day and get it absolutely. So Tuesday night, uh, we'd have, have the scripts finished. Wednesday off, we go on location, film four characters that day, maybe uh, four, four of those characters. Sometimes if I was doing a cabaret in London that night, sort of an after dinner thing, I'd have to jump on a motorbike, zoom through the traffic, get into a DJ or whatever and do that. And then the next day, Thursday, we'd be in the studio. Um, and that would be just a sort of quiet, uh, not audience studio, usually on the Hogarth roundabout in, just out in Chiswick. Right. And I would do maybe a character, often Jon Snow would interview me or Krishna Gurren Murthy or... Um, sometimes you know Kirsty Young or something and I would be a character like maybe Blair or maybe William Hague or something and uh, so we would film another two or maybe three characters on Thursday morning and then I would just crash out for Thursday afternoon and evening all of the stuff we'd filmed would go to the director the director would take all the tapes and he'd go and edit all this to get those together Friday morning I would wake up, go off to Wembley Studios, or uh, sometimes we filmed at the old Thames Studios in Teddington, get there good and early in the morning, and I would write the monologues. Jeff would have some suggestions. Bird and Fortune would come in at about sort of 11 o'clock, sit down on the sofa, and we'd talk about what's been happening, and I'd say some ideas, and they would make some suggestions. And I'd write the monologues all day. And then at six o'clock, uh, I'd do a quick run through, and then I had to go back into the makeup chair. We realized that bits hadn't worked. And John and I would rewrite all the monologues in the makeup chair between six and seven. The audience would be queuing up outside. And eventually, literally, as the warm up man was just finishing off, John would take the script that we'd finished in makeup, run it to the autocue operator. I would go, be introduced, go on in front of the audience, and I'd be sort of, you know, uh, chatting away, watching the script being typed in and changed and paragraphed, <laughs> you know, chunks being dropped out and bits oh. being put in. Um, and when it was ready, you know, John would just put a thumbs up and they'd say, we're going to go, and John would just jump up and down and go, kill, 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 kill. That was his way of, you know, sending his boy into action. Right. Um, and, um, and then I would sight read the script i mean it helps you if you've sort of written it but wow. sight read the script but i could couldn't let on because i didn't want people to know the joke so i would just do the voices so it would be um, let's say if it was now hmm. and the script was boris johnson and donald trump and uh jacob reese mogg and bob monkhouse and david so i would read it through and i'd be going and not so and the audience would laugh at that it was just yeah. sound jokes. but um it was me kind of familiarizing myself and then we'd start recording and they played into that recording with a live audience they played in the sketches that we pre-recorded the previous day and on the thursday uh, on the wednesday um and they'd be ed edited together loosely so we could get the laughs um so, and then John Byrne, John Fortune would do their wonderful pieces together. And it was the happiest feeling in the world on Friday night when everything had come together. And, you know, you could see the sketches back for the first time and trying yeah. to, and the monologues. And I'd go to bed on Friday thinking, you know, we've, we've got a good show there. And I'd say, and Jeff would say, oh, we've got 55 minutes or something. We only needed 42 or something. So you knew we could cut it into a good show, but it was just the best time of my life. Do you, so you think that sort of really enforced, really quick working, do you think that aided the creativity? Do you find when you have more time, when you don't have that sort of deadline, yeah. 
What, what, yeah. what do you fill the time with? Does it, is it, do you over consider ideas at that? Well, yes, you can, you can. I mean, it's, it is, I mean, sometimes I think you're just better, better quick um, mm. because you just, you know, you've got to do it and yeah. you can't. And, um, you know, it's thing about like um, writer's block. Funnily enough, John Fortune, when he worked in California, he did some scripting and they put them all into a building called the writer's block. But writer's block, I mean, uh, John Bird told me that he said, um, we talk sometimes about, you know, what do you, how do you start? Where do you start? And he just, John, the best piece of advice somebody gave to John Bird, he said was, um, don't get it right, get it written. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just get it, get it, get a template to put down. Um, and John, my writer, who I've mentioned just now, I mean, he was notoriously late, you know, and he would say, do you want it funny or do you want it Friday? And the producer <laughs> wanted it Friday, but he wanted it funny. John wanted it funny. And he'd always write these jokes. I said, and it looked a little bit like Indian trains because you know, those trains you see where people are hanging off every door and every yeah, yeah. window and yeah. every, you know, off the roof and stuff. And sometimes I said his jokes or his scripts were like that. There were just too mm. many. And I had to sort of like, just, just look, look, remember where we're going with this. We yeah. just got to yeah. get rid of the extraneous stuff. Um, but it was just, it was exciting. But I think, you know, um, uh, talking to who somebody talking about this the other day, um, it was, sorry, it's gonna sound name droppy, but <laughs> we're both, um, uh, on the board of an opera thing, and, and he's a sort of mate for many years. Um, Tim Rice, the oh, yeah. lyricist, and uh, of mm. course, wonderful, wonderful musicals. And um, he was saying, you know, saying about writing, and we both said we like we like the motivation, we like deadlines, we miss deadlines. And part of mm. being in lockdown is, you know, where's the thing that's saying you've got to get this finished, you've got to get yeah, this yeah. done. Yeah, very easy to get into kind of manana 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 mentality and i i like to have lists because it's how i handle my sort of adhd um which was what i was mentioning with lumac before mm. i like to have lists and i like to sort of tick them off and i found that if i've got give myself eight or nine things to do in a day and during the lockdown i've done about four of them i go yeah. well you know i'll just do it tomorrow and then tomorrow becomes the end of the week and then the end mm. of the week rolls over to monday and it's um shocking state of affairs do you, do you think you still get the opportunity to make that sort of television now or are uh, no. Uh, no 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 it stopped dead in 2010 um when literally i'm in channel four pulled the show uh and nobody told us weirdly nobody told us oh. um you know it just stopped and then i kept saying well hang on are we going to have another series and my agent at the time sort of said well that you know um i said should i go and talk to them and she said well i'm not sure that you know you might not want to hear what they've got to say because you know things things might be changing and you know you've got to mm. you've got to go to them with new suggestions or whatever but anyway um just time passed and weeks became months and then it became apparent that they weren't going to commission another series and mm. you know i wish at the time we'd gone straight off and knocked on doors and said listen guys there's john burn there's john fortune we, there's a whole team here mm. we do we, you know we, we're good at this stuff we can do it you know mm. and it would have adapted we'd have we'd brought in other people brought in new writers and new um talent um like we did in 2015 i mentioned matt ford earlier mm. and we sort of gave matt a, a break in the 2015 show and jess robinson as well and also sarah pascoe so jess robinson people who know fantastic talented musical impressionist and sarah pascoe people who know as well but mm. those three new performers came in on the 2015 show so my great regret was that the we never got to do anything about the coalition right yeah no, no, yes. I, I'm sad because he just got on to David Cameron, and I think I think the only thing you know we all said about David Cameron, I think it was you know people said you know when I became when I became prime minister, people said you know are you going to make the rich richer, you know are you going to make the poor poorer, and I think we managed to do both. 
So I think that was really good. So, um, and it was only 2015 when the BBC gave us a show uh, for the election in 2015 that we got our first chance. Uh, again, I'm talking about deadlines and motivation and actually, mm-hmm. right, you've got to write the show now um, to look at the coalition and realise that behind this apparently benign kind of liberal Democrats putting a break on the conservative sort of thing. That was the kind of benign image. But behind that were a lot of things that were really very wrong amongst the sort of the benefit sanction regime. Mm. You know, what Ian Duncan Smith was up to, the effects of austerity, um, the, um, I th- we did a little thing about sort of heroes of the coalition and it was things like the, the poppy seller, the um, war veteran poppy seller who had his benefits cut because he was, he, was out selling poppies the week before Remembrance Sunday, you know, memory of his fellow regiment, uh, the people in his regiment. Mm. Um, and so funnily enough, during those five years of the coalition, um, benign as it seemed, and some good things may have happened, but benign as it seemed, the seeds were being sown for Brexit. People mm. were feeling disenchanted. People were feeling disenfranchised. Um, and the globalization wasn't working for everybody. And you saw the roots of UKIP, um, mm. you know, that's where it came from. So if we'd been around in that time, you know, we could have been doing camera and we could have been doing, I mean, we could have had a lot of fun with Nigel Farage, yes. um, Boris Johnson. I'm not yeah. saying we would have changed the world, but I think we would have been part of a debate. Yeah. But mm. instead, you know, those years went by and we found suddenly find ourselves in this extraordinary climate where, mm. um, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like we're living in a box set. You know, and the writers yeah. have come, come up with the unimaginable stuff. You think there's a box set called Brexit. I thought, I don't want to see, I don't want to watch this. I just want to know how it ends. <laughs> um, same with Corbyn and the same with Trump. Um, mm. But, you know, I mean, talking of box sets, you know, you think you look a few weeks ago when if there's a box set about Boris Johnson, let's call it, let's call it the clown. Um, <laughs> and series two, I mean, series two ends with him going into hospital, into intensive care. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God! What's a cliffhanger yeah. at the end of series two and series yeah. three? What happens in the opener? But his partner gives birth to their baby. You think this is just—they <laughs> are jumping the shark every yeah. you know, expression. Yeah. They're, jumping, they're jumping the shark every week. It's something that Lenin supposedly said. I think it was Lenin. It might. It was it Lenin? Uh, yeah, it might have. Uh, it might have. Um, might have been Lorraine Kelly. Um, <laughs> very similar, very similar attachment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it might have been. Um, who said that there are dec- decades where nothing happens for weeks, and then mm. there are weeks where decades happen. And we have had so many weeks where decades happen, and I don't know whether it's because of the news cycle, partly, mm. um, and partly because, you know, uh, news is so much comment these days that it's half the politician's job now is to create their own narrative, because if they don't, they will be having constantly on the back foot, having to fight a narrative, fight another a, a view of of their of, of what they're up to, even if mm. that view might be true. I mean, um, Trump and to an extent Boris, they have to kind of make up plausible lies um, because if they don't, um, they're going to be behind behind the narrative, as it were. Um, mm. So I missed those five years. I think we, re- I felt we really could have been doing something. And then I woke, you wake up and suddenly Brexit has happened and Trump mm. is in the White House and Bolsonaro is in Brazil and Duterte is in the Philippines and Orban is in Hungary and um, uh, Erdogan is in Turkey. And suddenly this weird thing's happening where the strong men are back 
mm. and mm. dismantling and um, undermining these institutions like uh, NATO and the United Nations and the European Union and the World Health Organization, which were set in, which was set up in 1945 and or just after the war to kind of undo the damage done by the last generation of mm. nationalist, you know, fascist uh, leaders. Um, and, you know, some are more fascistic than others in the modern generation. But, mm. you know, alarm bells are, are ringing. And I, I think Absolutely. I think there's another. So that, there's another view of that, which is that for the 90s, when we we're doing our shows in the early 2000s, it was all about, as Bill Clinton said, it's all about it's all the economy. It's a it's the economy, stupid. And everything became about the economy to the extent mm. that the BBC's political correspondent um, it was, well, it was, um, let me think about this. The, uh, they made, they made Faisal Islam, uh, who was the economics correspondent, uh, became political editor at Sky. Robert Peston, uh, who was the business editor at Financial Times and then business editor at the BBC, became political editor at ITV. Evan Davis, who was the economics editor at the BBC, uh, was given Newsnight. Uh, was given, sorry, um, the Today programme and then Newsnight. The point I'm making is that the people who were economics and business correspondents became the political correspondents because politics was the economy. Yeah. yeah. And then what happened in the 2014 election, the referendum rather in Scotland, for the first time really, well, 2008 actually, the collapse of 2008, and that was the beginning when politics was coming back and the result... Uh, of austerity and then the Scottish referendum on independence and then Brexit was when politics came back um, mm. and really came back very, very hard. And people said, it's not about the economy. It's about us. It's about our lives. It's about our jobs. And it's about how we feel about ourselves. And it's, it's not just uh, about what the FTSE is today. Mm. And also we're living in a world now where someone like Trump isn't even prepared to research or read his own briefings. You're dealing with no. people in charge. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do this? I mean, you know, as he said, I mean, you can't outdo him. He said, he said, I'm the only one that matters. I'm the only one that matters. He said, he was asked why he not still not filled a lot of posts in his administration. Mm. He said, I'm the only one that matters. But let me tell you, you know, what's going on now and, I look at that and it makes me think of Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King. And I knew him very well. I knew him very, very well. We were very close. Very, I played a lot of golf with him and uh, we were very close, very close. I shot him. In fact, that's how close <laughs> we were. And, uh, and I knew his sister. I knew his sister, Billie Jean. And, and she was the last, she was, I was the last, I was the last man she ever had. Let me tell you. Um, but you know, he's going off. I mean, surely, surely he has kind of overdone it now. I mean, when he's talking about, you know, you could shine a torch, right? Okay. And he looks to the medical advisors and they're yeah. going, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't yeah, look at me, don't, yeah. look, don't bring yeah. me into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was kind of looking for reassurance. And, you know, yeah. that if, if you blame me, you can inject like disinfectant, right? You know, you can, and they're going, <laughs> don't look at me. Yeah. Um, and that, and then the next day saying I was being sarcastic, which, which yeah. is the worst. The excuse of a of a know, kid yeah. and you think they must they must and with the way that he said you know it's the flu it's the flu it's going to blow away it's going to blow yeah. away any moment but it's not and then the next week he said i knew it was a pandemic before they called it a pandemic by the way and you think you must yeah. they must must see through this they yeah. must 
do this. I was reading um, recently a, a book about Trump uh, called, uh, uh, what was it, um, Stable Genius. And it was about the early days of his sort of thing. And somebody said about it's not for him having the best idea, it's having the idea first. So having, he always tries to and fight. I always do. And the genius, Stable Genius, true genius. It's my middle name. Did you know that? That's what the J stands for. <laughs> that's what the J stands for, genius. But, Again, if you're describing yourself as stable, that's always that always rings alarm bells, doesn't it? Very, very strange. Yeah. Well, it's the weird thing. It's called the um, let me get this right. It's called the I think it's Dennis Kruger effect. Um, and it's to it was a guy at an American university and his um, I was going to the Doggett F Grave um, thing. It's not. It's the Dunnett Kruger, I think. Dunning. Okay. Dunning-Kruger effect. That's right, and it's about they did a uh, <laughs> they researched stupidity, right? <laughs> and the way that they did this, they felt they wanted to understand sort of how it worked, the psychology of it, if you like. And so they got a sort of group of people together, some some smart people and some not so smart people, and they set them questions about something they didn't know anything about. Okay, right. so. Uh, and but that wasn't the thing. The thing was the kicker was that afterwards they said, "How do you think you got on with the question?" And the the, the intelligent ones said, Look, "Honestly, I don't know the first thing about that. I maybe got mm. three or four of the answers right, but the rest." But the stupid ones said, "I think I did really well. I think I did really well. I think I got most of them right. You know, I absolutely got all of them." And they realized that this was the, it was a lack of self awareness. Mm. And it was, um, I mean, and the, the high point of it was uh, a guy who was arrested for robbing a bank in Pittsburgh in 1995. Um, and he had read somewhere that Invisible Ink, the key ingredient was lemon juice. So he covered his face with lemon juice and he took a photograph, but obviously he couldn't see what he was doing. So he took a photograph of the wall behind him. He thought, I've done it, I've done it, I've cracked it. And, and uh, he, so he thought it worked. So he went to the bank, robbed the bank, was of course arrested. And they showed him a photograph and he just looked at it and said, but I wore the juice, I wore the juice. <laughs> so that's the kind of, but you know, the, and it's the same that the, the Trump thing is, uh, you know, that lack of self-awareness. And he said, uh, he, he told an audience of evangelists in Iowa, he said, why should I, why should I repent or seek forgiveness when I'm not making mistakes? All right, well, you know, there you go. Um, a, I came across a wonderful quote the other day where um, there's a wonderful guy called Chevalier Taylor, Chevalier Taylor, who was George II's oculist. He was his oh. sort of his eye specialist. And um, he, uh, so his name was Chevalier Taylor, and he was a just kind of a conceited sort of popinjay kind of charlatan character. And Dr. Johnson described him as, he said, he said he is a, a uh, remarkable instance of how far impudence may carry ignorance. Right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wonderful? He's yeah, a, yeah. a Trump. It's a wonderful example of how impudence can, how far impudence can carry ignorance because he gets away with it because of his impudence, because of his cheek. He's like mm. the cat, a cat turning up at Crufts and say, mm. and they say, look, this is, this is a dog show, Mr. Trump. He goes, so I'm here now. I'm here. Okay. That's your problem. All right. <laughs> You know, what are you going to do about it? And there's something about Trump and there's something about, you know, Boris, the same mm. thing, which yeah. makes it our problem. Yeah. This is the problem with the disruptors. Yeah. They come along and they disrupt. In some cases, the positive disruptor or positive, depending on how you look at it, the examples of disruption are things like, you know, Uber or Netflix, which take a, a, a paradigm and mm. completely blow it apart. Um, and 
Boris and Trump are the sort of political disruptors, but you know, there are, are what comes after that disruption, and what's the plan? You know, what what what, what have you've got to have a plan? B, if you're going to un, you're going to take all these institutions like Farage would like Europe to break up completely, I think okay, but then what happens afterwards? Yeah, it's all about breaking the things up rather than suggesting anything better. Well, I, I, well as I say, you know, as Boris said years ago when he was writing with the Telegraph. He said, I, I, you know, I was lobbing bricks over the, uh, over, the, over the wall and hearing the greenhouse windows smash and that feeling of power that it gave me. And that's what he said. He admitted that's what he was doing when he was writing these myths about Europe. Um, you know, he was saying about the bent bananas and the standard size condoms and all that. And he was making it up and hearing the effect they had. And, it, and he was intoxicated mm. by it. And, you know, obviously it sort of continued with the, um, you know, with, with, with the campaign. And... Um, you know, he said, he said, he said no, I would, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I would, I would lie in front of a bulldozer over Heathrow. He's already <laughs> lied in front of a bus. Right, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, but, but it was these myths. And I know I'm a big, a bit Romani now, of course. I'm sorry. But, you know, how many times you heard during the Brexit debate, people about talking about the National Health Service and these foreigners who were coming over here and were a drain on our National, national Health Service. Uh, and what are we seeing now? We're seeing, you know, these people who've given their lives, um, you know, from the black and ethnic minority ones as mm. well as Boris's life, who was saved by. I mean, the irony of his mm. him being saved by a Portuguese nurse yeah. and yeah. a New Zealand yeah. nurse, and these people who weren't draining the health service, but in the case yeah. of EU nationals, were making up like fifty-two thousand of them. And now this campaign to come over here and pick fruit mm. and vegetables. Mm. Things, mm. And you think, well, this is, you know, this is what it's about. You were saying that these people were a drain on our resources. You were yeah. saying that these people mm. were coming over here and just claiming benefits and stuff yeah. like that. Didn't he actually say, let them back in the other day? Didn't he actually just say, I say, oh. come back, oh, come back. Yeah, didn't, he yes. say, didn't he say yeah, that the other day? No, he, he said, I, we, we want, I think I want you back. We yeah, want yeah, you yeah, back. yeah. And I yeah, don't know if yeah. I had to go because I don't know if he, got, he actually did say, I don't know if he went to Gary Barlow. I don't know if he yeah. went the full... I yeah, don't know if you sure, Jackson yeah. Five. That. Maybe. We want you back. We well, yeah, we want you yeah. back. Not not for good, but we want <laughs> <Yeah>. you back. <laughs> yeah. We want you back uh, for the uh, for the uh, for the for the picking season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And now we're in a situation where sort of Brexit is happening out of view because everybody's mm. obviously so concerned with the coronavirus thing and what happens next. I I get a bit concerned about the lack of scrutiny of things well, at the moment. You see, I mean, we're kind of like this. The the, the narrative is that, that that we we could easily get hit no deal, which a lot of mm. people want. Of course, a lot of a lot of the Brexiteers are very happy to have no deal because, you know, they say it's going to be fine. We'll go back to you know world world trading or, or WTO rules. Mm. But um, as you probably know, because I, I think I might have used the line last time I was at. Um, mostly comedy you know it's like wtf rules really <laughs> you know, yeah. what, how can you possibly yeah but yeah here's my thing on that is that there's a head of steam building because we've got till june the 31st 30 days that's september april do you know we've got till june the 30th right. to let the you know if we're going to extend the transition period and or so people were there's a movement afoot to we, so the, you know there's a cutoff date june the 30th we've got mm -hmm. to let them know if we're going to extend it or not and that's that's and that debate is going to get louder, and that argument is going to get louder, and it's going to be shouted down by people who are saying, "No, we're concentrating on, on the coronavirus. You know, we've got to deal with COVID first, this, that, and the other." Mm. And because they want this to be kicked into the long grass, um, yeah. and it's going to be really. I mean, my analogy, I think now that I would I, I would be in favour of an extension to the transition period, because I think it's that's injury time. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah. You know? yes. They've got to, if, if a game is stopped, mm. let's say if a game is stopped for, for five minutes while somebody's stretched it off or whatever, they'll mm. add that time on at the end of the game because they haven't mm. been able to, you know, nothing's been able to happen. And here, if effectively, you know, the play has been stopped for three months by coronavirus, it just makes and so everyone, nobody, everybody's been completely concentrated on that. Mm. Makes sense to take those three months and add them on as injury time yeah. um, at the end. Mm. So, uh, so that is what we're talking. About. But I, I think I, I should say to those who are waiting um, with bated breath for for jokes and comedy and let me say, I mean, my final word on the comic Cummings is I, I let me let me say I would say uh, that uh, that uh, I mean any father any anyone who's been a father. Uh, as 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 often as long as I have, and and as often uh, as I have, will understand the instinct, the instinct to uh, to to go the extra mile, and in, uh, indeed the extra thirty uh, miles. Um, I, I myself, I would certainly go five hundred miles, and I would go five hundred more uh, to test my eyesight because my eyesight is very bad. And, but there are reasons for that, and I won't go into those. But I, I have a new slogan, and that is uh, that is very much uh, move on. Draw a line uh, and, and 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 fuck off. <laughs> um, before you go, Roy, I mean, we could talk to you for ages about so many things. And one yeah. thing I find, find so extraordinary extraordinary about you as an impressionist is when you impersonate. I mean, you were saying about all the makeup and all the things you used to use. You, you, I, I know because my wife takes photos at the comedy club, and you could look through the photos and go, "Well, there's Trump." There's yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, but, yeah. And I think it's that's quite just so extraordinary. Yeah. Um, we've had some questions uh, sent in by people. There's one I'm looking yeah. at here now. That, by uh, the way, I'll just answer that one. It's very instinctive because mm. I don't. I'm not aware. I hate looking at myself in a mirror for all sorts of reasons. But I don't like practicing impressions in front of the mirror. Oh, all right. that happens, and I'm sure it's with other impressions. I'm providing the voice. I'm providing the soundtrack to a picture that I'm seeing in my mind. I'm seeing Trump in my mind. Or, you know, I might be seeing Jacob Rees-Mogg saying, I'm terribly sorry they won't let me do these coronavirus briefings because they say I'm, I look much too much like a fucking undertaker. Uh, <laughs> I just see him in my mind. And that's yeah. that, that's it. What was lovely when we did Bremen Bird and Fortune was on, when we did the sketches in makeup is I had a huge screen in front of me and the set looked perfect. And everything looked perfect. The makeup looked perfect, and I just had to add the voice. And it was every. It was just an extra detail that you were painting on. So it really um, helped. Yeah. Sorry. Questions. Yeah. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, but it's so true. I mean, we you can always see who you're doing. Obviously. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, questions we've had. Uh, this one is from Stephen. He said, uh, "Speaking as someone who struggles to silence the voices in my own head, do you ever <laughs> find yourself thinking in other people's voices?" Uh, yeah. Well, funnily enough, I think I did Tony Blair for so long that I actually found myself sort of almost. You know, adopting his speech rhythm and the yeah. patterns that he had, you know. Uh, I've, funnily, I've actually, uh, I think when I started out in comedy in the sort of 80s with people like we know, Mark Steele, but the first, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the first, you know, first Edinburgh show I did was with Mark Steele, and uh, the people like Jeremy Hardy. Jeremy Hardy was great, and Jer Jeremy had that really laid back style. And I think, you know, Norman Lovett was similar, and you interviewed Norman Lovett. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that Jeremy and Norman were that kind of self-deprecating, <laughs> downbeat, you know, very low energy style. That was absolutely, um, that was followed and imitated and taken up by so many of the comedians in the 80s and 90s, you know, and it was kind of the, as I say, downbeat. I mean, um, Jack D came at it from a different way because he, you know, Jack D being energetic just didn't work and he sort of slowed it down and found a new character as it were. 
but so many people were influenced by the way that Jeremy spoke. So yes, I would say my answer to that is yes, there were times uh, when I felt uh, that I was beginning to sound a little, I was doing Tony Blair so often I was beginning to sound a little bit like him. Right. I know Steve Coogan talks about when he's writing for Partridge and quite often he'll find himself thinking in Partridge's voice, you know, that the mm -hmm. line is so, so blurred. Uh, oh. Another question sort of similar. Um, this is from Keith. Uh, Keir Starmer must be much more difficult to do than Boris, who has his own caricature anyway. Uh, what do you look for and how difficult is it to take on a new persona, particularly if there's someone who aren't so clearly defined, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have to keep, you keep coming back to the voice because it's all very well, you know, you could create a persona, but if the voice isn't isn't right. So, I mean, I'm going to have to, because I think he's going to be around for a, quite a while. And I think I've been, you know, I think he's done more. I'm kind of putting, I've kind of worn my heart on my sleeve in this interview anyway, but I do mm -hmm. think that he has done more to kind of rumble uh, Boris in what six or seven weeks than, than Corbyn could in sort of six or seven years, yeah. um, because he's because of his the famously forensic thing and because he is calm and measured. I'm going to have to listen to him. Uh, I haven't I haven't studied him yet. Is the truth um, again? Because like I said earlier. You know, when am I going to do the next live show? I mean, I, yeah. heavens knows. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking the same thing, of course, mm. with uh, with mostly comedy. When are we going to be in that lovely kind of that be together in that lovely sort of front room? Um, but uh, yeah, so what do you go for? So you've got to go. It's got to be the voice. But and then it, there's a kind of it goes through phases because you start trying to get the voice accurate and that right, but often that's a little bit too tight um, because you it has to have life and it has to have character and it has to have um some kind of it has to have depth um and what you find is that you start off and you want to get it uh, right Let, I don't know, let's say chris tarrant and you realize that it is a, a kind of adenoidal voice and it comes from a but it, <laughs> uh, it's when you uh, it's when you get a bit more free and uh, you can play around interestingly enough if you put tony blair he's like that and Chris Tarrant, who's like that, together, you mm. actually get Ed Miliband, which is really weird. A really <laughs> weird thing happened. Um, but, um, so voice, uh, and you listen to, so I'm going to have to listen to him in Parliament and listen to probably podcasts, because, you know, everyone's doing podcasts now. Mm. And if and I just, I need to saturate myself. I need to saturate myself with Keir Starmer to the extent that I'm not even thinking about what he's saying anymore. I'm just, just, just... Um, but I've always worked by instinct. You've got just instinctively trying to understand uh, or trying to um, just clock how he's speaking. Um, if there are any little ticks there. And, but then the second phase where the character comes in, you realize that there might be a, a vowel sound or something that you can exaggerate, just like a caricaturist. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a caricaturist, you might think somebody like Jeremy Hunt or even Matt Hancock, uh, certainly Jeremy Hunt would be a little bit hard to do. But then if you sort of extend the nose, make him look a little bit like, you know, the, I don't know, the scarecrow in um, uh, Wizard of Oz, it becomes a bit more of a caricature. And, mm. But it's got to ring true as well. And I think the way satire works at its best, uh, as opposed to just sort of political comedy, and where it's not just graffiti, where it works best is if you... It, people recognize the voice they think that's spot on that's really weird that's the voice is great mm. it sounds true um but the joke that you're saying is actually exploding and liberating a thought that was deep down in people's brains but they hadn't sort of necessarily um 
expressed it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I said, you know, are we going to make the rich richer? Are we going to make the poor poor? Um, you know, I, I, I think we managed to do both. What I, I like about that is because it's the, the voice works, the, the structure works, but also it, it's making a point. And I think I always think after shows that really you want to have shows where the voices are good, the jokes are funny, and it has a point of view. That's what I said mm. when I did my show, which you saw the first preview of with Jan Ravens. Yeah, yeah. Years ago. And then I and came behind... to see it actually in Edinburgh as well. And what was interesting was how much it had changed uh, when, you, oh. when you did a preview for us. Too. So oh, we right, went... I had it. <laughs> yeah, it had. Because I remember we went for a meal afterwards and you were sort of talking through ideas. And it was just yeah interesting to see how it had changed more towards the ideas I think you were discussing with us than what you actually did, really. So, it was, yeah, it was interesting. I, I remember you saying at the time that the, the, the male politicians at that particular moment weren't particularly inspiring. So you had Theresa May, obviously, that Jan was doing. Um, but you said, I remember you saying that there wasn't particularly many inspiring sort of politicians. Well, there. No, I mean, there weren't yeah. because, I no. mean, well, I suppose because I was comparing them with the with the Labour years yeah. when it was yeah, Gordon exactly. Brown and Tony Blair and yeah. Robin Cook and um, ba -ba 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 -ba, Frank Dobson and... Um, I'm trying to think, there were a couple of others, and Peter Mandelson, who mm. kind of they, you know, we, we got to know them in opposition, and they were characters who, I mean, I just happened to find at the time very easy to do, or not easy mm. to do. I found them the doable. And then mm. in the coalition, you had people like Phil Hammond, and and mm. uh, you know, you thought, God, you know, I'm not sure his wife sounds what she knows what he sounds like. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, but I mean, I think I might have whinged a little bit too much about that, partly because I was out of practice. I wasn't, you know, match fit and all the rest of it. So um, I think there was an element of that. But now we're kind of, there are the big four, if you like, you know, yeah. the big five who are, you know, Boris and Trump and for me, Rhys Mogg and Farage. Would you, would you rather have, I mean, it's probably a stupid question. Would you rather have the stability of things being quiet, things being how you want it to be? Or the sort of, you know, as a creative person, obviously you sort of thrive off the extremes of things like Trump. And so what wins over well, for you? There's, people do say to you at these sort of times, they say, oh, my God, you must have so much material. Mm. And I remember John Fortune sometimes says to people, oh, you've got so much, you must have so much material. John, John would go, do you want to write it? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, in a way, in the vanity of a performer in some ways, you, you kind of think, oh, you know, if you were able to make comedy out of something where it's not, you know, it's sort of very... But, you know, you kind of look back and think, were the major years, were they, did we have those Leninist decades where nothing happened for weeks and was it was it normal and will we ever get back to that i don't think we will mm -hmm. for the reasons i explained earlier about you know 24-hour news media and all the rest of it mm. um so, but i i think you know it's funny because uh there's two ways of looking at it and both are true i mean uh ian hislop says you know that trump makes it easy because you know there is so he does provide you with so much mm. but on the other hand you know you think it's he is so ridiculous in and of himself yeah yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got the thing that if you kind of make him funny, are you kind of normalising him? Yeah, and, yeah. There's... And I mean, satire, you know, it's, it works by ridiculing people. And so that mm. I mean, my first, the first book I ever was inspired by, which is Candide by Voltaire, and that was sort of like mid 18th century. Um, and the whole book at the time, there was a kind of uh, philosophy abroad in Europe that God knew what he was doing. And if we, uh, uh, you know, that as, as Pope put it in his essay, essay on man, he said that all discord was harmony misunderstood and all individual evil was universal good, that God had a plan. And then mm. the Lisbon earthquake happened and Voltaire thought, oh, 
for, you know, how can you believe in a benevolent, benevolent God? He's got it all worked out. So he wrote this amazing sort of um, picaresque episodic novel, um, Condide, where his character believes that everything's for the best in the best of all possible worlds, he said in a very Blairite way. <laughs> everything's the best for the best, the best of all possible worlds. And um, every, all his, he's kicked out of the castle where he is uh, brought up by this um, ludicrous philosopher figure called Pangloss, as in all tongue. And Condide goes around the world and he sees suffering, he sees wars, he sees um, pain, he sees um, executions by the church. And so this theory that it's the best of all possible worlds is tested all the time. And it's ultimately it's ridiculed and laughed out of court. So you read that book and you finish it, and you think, how could you possibly? How could you possibly? And it's what Bird and Fortune used to do. Each time, you know, they would take a piece of policy or, or a, a politician or a person or a captain of industry. And by the end of those wonderful pieces of nine or 10 minutes, you go, how, how is that person doing that job? Or is it, how, how can they, how can that be the policy? And that, that was true satire much more than I'll ever do was because, you know, in the course of those beautiful things, which are so, so wonderful to listen to, it was like, you know, it was like a, you know, it's just a beautiful duet. Uh, and you just felt, found yourself thinking that argument has just been taken to shreds, but just in a just a beautiful way. And I think, I mean, if you were looking for like satire to sort of spread the word for what needs to change, I know like for me personally, uh, watching, say, your shows, watching a Margaret News View as someone growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was seeing what you were doing that educated me about politics and made, so I, maybe I learned about, for example, I used to really love when you used to do Michael Howard, but I probably knew your Michael <laughs> Howard before I knew the real Michael Howard. So well, it's interesting you should say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, look, it's all right. I'm not going to hurt you um so no i mean that was just a kind of a little ad lib uh the not going to hurt you became an ad lib for michael howard but so i couldn't then after that i couldn't do michael howard without saying it's all right yeah. i'm not going to hurt you and then i did an episode of kingdom with stephen fry do you remember that yes, yes and they cast me as a vicar um well actually they didn't cast me as a vicar because i realized when i got three pages into the script um instead of rory it said ruby and I realised they'd obviously given it Ruby Wax. And I, anyway, and let's not go on about that. Um, and they were quite right because she's a better actress than I'll ever be. Uh, actor. Um, anyway, um, there's a bit where he has to sort of, the vicar has to kind of um, strong arm Stephen Fry and sort of and sort of say, look, you know, I really think you should do this because it'd be a terrible shame if you didn't, you know, and the, and the congregation would be very upset. And so I started off and I sort of said, um, well, I really think you should do it because if you don't do it for the congregation, um, I really think it would be a tremendous shame. And Stephen Fry said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're going to have to stop filming. I'm afraid you're being Michael Howard. <laughs> He's right, bloody hell, like he always is. <laughs> Uh, we should probably draw it to a close there, much yeah. as we could talk to you. I reckon such time. so many things to talk about, but yes, but, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, have you got loads of questions? Um, uh, well, there's a few. There's a few more. Um, do, do, do. Uh, I mean, Gabrielle this one has said, you know, it was much to be satirising Richard Trump. It doesn't touch the beliefs. Yeah, that's true. the yeah, point. Well, yeah, that's it. It's actually yeah. the supporters. Because here's the thing, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier about politicians deciding they're going to set the agenda. They're going to get out there first, and they get to set the agenda. They don't care. Mm. And their supporters don't care because all they care about is their truth. Mm. And mm. that stuff um, about, you know, saying these people coming and draining our health service and stuff like that, that is a truth that they want to believe. Mm. Um, and I remember 
listening to um, Nigel Farage speak. There was some, um, there was a dinner that I was asked to where you know, they have all sorts of speakers right across the spectrum. And another evening they had Bill Gates, for example, but on one occasion they had Farage. And I remember being chilled by it. And I said to somebody afterwards, I said, what's the, what is the, what's the counter argument to this? And he said, well, there, there isn't really. It's just, it's just a way of how you see the world. And I mean, I yeah. think that's very true now. And, and coming back to comedy, your comedy um, is uh, judged now by people's politics. And very often mm. people say, oh, you're just a has-been, Rory, you know, you haven't been funny for years, this, that, and the other. And you look on their timeline and you see, you know, uh, it's quite Brexity. Quite often it's sort of, you know, quite Tommy Robinson almost, you know, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing, because they have a particular view of England and it is you know not the UK or they have a particular view of England and a particular view of Brexit and stuff like that mm. and they can't stand liberal lovies um, and yeah. I kind of think I'm not much wrong with being liberal and I think you know I'd rather be a lovey than a Haiti. Well there is that and mm. also I think everyone tends to be in their own little bubble now because of the nature of Twitter you've got the people who are more left-leaning are talking to themselves the right-leaning ones are talking to themselves there's no cross pollination and that's, that's where until, it, until the there's the sort of clash and the argument that kind of happens in one yeah but it's not yeah yeah i mean if i was any good if i was any good i'd try and write a show to kind of illustrate that and to try and bring together but i mean i think the other thing again is that with satire having I mean, changed because it changes with the target like when mm. blair came in you couldn't attack him in the same way as you were attacking major because you know, they were different politicians. Mm. So that changes all the time. But with this particular thing with the Trump and Boris thing, and they call it the post-truth thing that I sometimes think we have to fight fire with facts. Mm. And as the, as the Washington Post is doing, they pointed out that since he became president, Trump has uh, come out with, I think it's over 15,000 false claims or misleading statements. Uh, you know, starting right at the very beginning, you know, just in his early days, he said, we've now seen the most successful 13 weeks in the history of the United States presidency. And he'd been president for 11 weeks at that point. I knew it was a pandemic before it was even a pandemic. Okay. I mean, well, that's clearly untrue. Oh, and th yesterday, two days ago, you know, the one thing Obama and I have in common is we both had the honor of sacking James Mattis. Oh, yes. And it turns out he didn't sack James Mattis. Mattis right. resigned as defense secretary because Trump unilaterally decided to pull American troops out of Syria. Mm. And as his chief military guy and a smart chief military guy, he said, oh, this, you can't, you're just creating, you'll pull them out. You don't know what's happening. You're going to create a vacuum. And by the way, Erdogan will sweep in and he'll pick off, pick out the Kurds. So he resigned. So when Trump says, you know, I, I fired him, I fired him, he was useless. And, you know, uh, he was the most overrated general and this, and he just gets nasty um, about it. So um, what was I saying with that? Um, so, so yes, so, 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 so they don't care, they will make it up. Um, so I think maybe apart from trying to bring people together, you know, you've got to do it not because of your political beliefs, but because you think you have drifted away from facts and facts mm -hmm. matter. But the problem yeah. is it's so hard, particularly with comedy, like you say, it's so hard to have that communication between the two because it just causes so much anger um, because mm. people are so mm. so staunch in their beliefs one way or another that, yeah, yeah it's just it's very hard to break through that. Yeah. And I think satire is a great 
uh, tool for that because what it does is it educates people with humor but with intelligence well you've got to kind of i mean i've been quite political tonight but i think you've got to sort of crowd the other end that's what jan and i were trying to do at our shows um is you know it's going to be going to be funny enough at the end of it and then you've got to you know, that's when you've got some of the voices like you know like the john prescott's so you just put in there every now and again say like les dawson so I was, I was talking to the doctor the other day i said doctor i've got a steering wheel stuck on the end of my knob and it's driving me nuts so can i get some viagra they said yes i said can i get it over the counter it depends how many you take so to make you know good sort of laughing characters or you know attenborough say after three days filming this extraordinary stick insect we discover it is in fact a stick because you know the laughter the comedy gives you uh, the license gives you the right perhaps to you know, to push a boundary a little bit. And Bird, John Bird was always very uh, tough uh, and very alert to editorialising or preaching or pomposity. Uh, and, you know, that is something you have to watch, watch out for. I was just going to say, we also had a nice message from Gabrielle Madison. Thank you, Rory, for a funny and intelligent evening. So there's oh, there's more there's more coming through. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. Oh, was, was she watching something else? Yeah, yeah she yeah, she <laughs> Watching Mrs. Brown's Boys, I believe, or something. Okay. Um, oh, that's really kind. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I haven't really shut up. Hello. No, oh, I can that's, see that's, that's, that's what I we're here for. We don't want you to shut up. We really no. don't want you to shut up. Um, no. More jokes. No, no, no. And that's what I think is so good about this as opposed to, like, if you come and do a gig, it's lovely when you come and do a gig and you get to mm. see another side of you, but it's nice to be able, com- able to have a conversation with people yeah. and, and deal, you know, dig a little bit deeper about these things. Thank um, you. I just thought yeah. I've just put my latest joke on Twitter, which isn't so much a joke. It's just how jokes and real seriousness can come full circle. So, and it's just, uh, there's an awful lot of COVID in Brazil. <laughs> but, and they're now that's the third in the third country in the world, aren't they? So Yeah, I saw that. It yeah. Goes, yeah. just goes out there and uh, probably from some people say, but these people are dying. I say, I know it's irony. I'm saying that this is going, it is, there's a, you know, for years and years, but then, Probably like Andy Zaltzman, you know, I'm just too fond of puns. Guess, uh, but also people get very precious about things like death. I and, and and I think, you know, any we, we all experience death. We all experience grief in some way. We all experience fear. So we're all allowed, we're entitled to joke about these things. Providing I've, I've, you're experienced, not I've experienced death many times at, at sort of clubs up and down the Mo- country. Yeah, mostly comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably. Mostly, yeah. 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 But as I say, we probably should draw to a close there. But thank you so much for doing this, Rory. Thank and you. Yeah. Keep you mean doing the podcast. Do you mean the Zoom or life? Mean... Uh, well, yeah, this thank is the end. Doing Sorry, this. Rory. I'm afraid yeah. we have to draw this to yeah, an end. This yeah. is the end. <laughs> we you could just take Rory out and just. Uh... Yeah, as a committee, we've decided. Um, but no, thank you so much, Rory, and keep doing what oh, you're doing. And yes. and you're an inspiration, and it was lovely to have you chat with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, I thank love you, very you guys. Much. I mean, yeah. you know, it goes back. I got this little email about whatever it was four years ago. Yeah, you know, we run this comedy show. and um I don't know, you just you got me on a good day or whatever. I just thought oh, I quite like the sound of what and uh yeah. um and you, you know, it's lovely and I think what you're doing out there and thank you by the way, especially thank you to all the people who've come in on this mm. and supported uh mostly comedy as well. And I don't know if you're you know, regular attendees there, but there's a little special thing going on there. And I think you guys have been really, really good to to start it up to keep it going and you know they, that takes a lot of work and diligence and, and persistence and um i think you're you know you're bringing bringing comedic, you know good good comedians and and me um <laughs> that's not the same category um to to the to the community there in hitchin so thank you um hitchin and abroad all the people who've been and uh, i hope 
you're safe and well and i hope if you've been touched by this uh in whatever way i hope you you can find some some recovery and that um yeah that uh, we'll get through in some uh, some sunny day i think i should plug i think there's a podcast that uh, jeff atkinson we put out with mark watson and others i haven't heard it yet but um that's we put that out that, that, that some sunny day we'll be through this and back to having live comedy and don't you just hope maybe people might be a little bit nicer like maybe yeah. things like this might bring people a little bit more i mean even like doing something like this if we tried to promote the idea of doing a podcast over something like zoom a few like a month or so ago people wouldn't have done it people wouldn't have gone for it but because people are wanting to communicate again something like this yeah. works and i hope and, it does and the sad thing is i think the sad thing is that, that uh, well i know people i think people are kind but it does, then you, I, I say thing, it's nice people are going to be kinder and then you look at twitter and you go hang on yeah. well yeah if you don't look at Twitter, then everything's fine in the world. But yeah, you do. That's always the worst, <laughs> the worst part yeah. of life. Um, but it's it's true. I think we we but we've always um, we started mostly comedy, be selfishly to get people in that we admired um, and we thought were fantastic. And when you said yes, we were we couldn't have been happier. <laughs> yeah. So um, so thank you, thank you, you for coming you down. Thought, yeah, it's brilliant. We, thought... we got to replace John Culshaw because we couldn't. <laughs> I think you did our eighth birthday. I seem to remember it was eighth. I think it was. Yeah, you shared oh, some birthday yeah. cake with us afterwards. Oh yeah, yes. I do remember the last show. It was a beautiful hot summer evening um, two years ago. Do you remember we had that long sort of warm summer? We yeah. had an incredible last sort of you know, yeah. But I remember it was, and I remember it was one of those ones where all the restaurant windows in Hitchin were sort of open. To that, we the, were in. Um, that place across the road, weren't we? I can't remember which one, but yes, we oh, were the, across yeah. the road from the yeah, yeah. yeah we're we're in a, a new yeah. venue now as well, Roy. So when you come back, you'll be able to see that, and it's it's yes. nicer, I'd say. So oh, good, good. Or you might think right. it's worse. I don't know. Well, actually, but, I've just opened up a comedy club in the old one, so we could do. Oh, it fair enough. Yeah. Because we're on different nights. Yeah, we'll be all right. Excellent. Thank all you right, so much, Rory. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you too. And thank thanks you. everybody else who joined in. And um, go and have some supper and a drink. And um, yeah. it's Saturday tomorrow, although every day is Saturday now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Take all right. care, Rory. Take thanks care. for the kind words. Thank you. Take care. Bye, all. Bye. And there we go. That was Rory Bremner. Or maybe it was an impressionist doing an impression of Rory Bremner doing an impression of uh, uh, Trump. I, I'm not entirely sure. Trump doing an impression of Rory Bremner, I think it was. That would be interesting. That would yeah, be what, very interesting. What we should have done is just done a load of interviews with Rory Bremner as different people, and then we could just say that that's these people, you know, we interviewed exactly. David Attenborough or whatever, but we didn't well, I know. do that. Yeah, idiots. yeah. Absolutely <laughs> idiots. Um, what a lovely chat. What a, what a, it what was a so fascinating... Good, yeah. I, I found particularly uh, the most interesting bit, for, well, all of it was interesting, but I really liked mm. hearing him talk about how he used to put together his shows, the shows with... Yeah, um, it, was a, it was a real step-by-step -step account, wasn't it? But it was really mm. fascinating just to hear of the, the detail and the amount of time... Yeah, and it's that thing, took. isn't it? I, we've always, I mean, even when we used to write more material for mostly the, the, or anything that we've done, a deadline mm -hmm. is the thing that, that generates an idea. Without a firm yeah. deadline, I don't think you'd ever see anything through. And even like things like the more material that we're more known for, like our, the porn letter or something, yeah. it literally came about because we had a gig that week and it's net the material has never changed from that first no. rendition of it. And that comes from having a deadline. I think you I need think it's that. The the best circumstance to write isn't it because i think without without a deadline without a sort of uh, something to write towards then it does it's so hard to just sit yeah. there and go oh what should we write you know so it's so difficult to do that uh, yeah and, and the more time you have the more you sort of have time to doubt it and you know and, all and, and, and like he said as well about having someone to write with i think that's so important i mean definitely i wouldn't 
ever write anything on my own. I mean, I know you, you do a lot, but I actually have to guide the pen, don't I? When you're, when you you're holding it, I have to yeah, guide I can't, it. Into, I can't, yeah. I can't just physically do it. I just can't Bless do it. Um, but, um, but it's, but it is something where I, yeah, I, I think it's nice to have someone else to bounce off. Like he said, you know, you can, you can have half the idea because mm. then the, you have half the idea and then the other person can sort of, sort of pull that out of you a bit more or yeah. you, the other well, way around. So, yeah. No, yeah. when he said that, it was a very familiar thing. And also yeah. I think the way we always looked at it as well is having an instant editing thing because yeah. all you have to do yeah. is make one person laugh. If mm. I make you laugh, it'll work. If you make me, me laugh, yeah. it'll work. And then that, yeah, it's so much easier. And having done stand up on my own, I can definitely say it's much easier to write together because um, you, you have an instant sounding board. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was nice to hear a familiar thing like that. And again, yeah. I mean, we had loads of questions we could have asked him. Didn't really have the time because he's just no. got so much to say, and uh, you just let it lead where it leads, really. But um, I don't, I don't know why he isn't making the series he used to make, and I hope he, he does more of that because he's just the best impressionist. I think. I mean, if, without without kind of assuming why, I I do feel like nowadays that there isn't the the detail and i think this is a credit to him and like f from what he said about his series and the mm. time they spent on that and a very quick amount of time but actually at the same time it was very concentrated and i think that the money's not there and the the time and the detail isn't spent on programs like it was then you know yeah. and i know it's not that long ago but it and i've heard other people say this i've heard other comedians mm. we've had say this that that everything's done so quickly nowadays or on such a budget that there isn't the time spent or the detail spent on things or conversely, quality. I think that like it's not it. People don't trust uh, no. performers in the way they used to. It's like if you listen no. to like Python talking about how they got signed, and it was sort of through John Cleese. They were already writing for everyone anyway, and John Cleese, they were looking for a vehicle for him. But they just gave them two series straight away and said, yeah. "Do what you like." And yeah. that trusting the uh, talent, trusting the people that you want to do it, letting them have the idea, let them run the idea through to what they want. I think in yeah. this day and age people they probably wouldn't get the freedom i don't think no e even someone like rory bremner you think has such an extraordinary track record just let him do it but yeah there are too many people I and mean, we found this when we used to be in a writer's group too many people justifying their own jobs just to create a job that yeah. means that there are too many people editing you that aren't necessarily the people you want to have editing you you know he talked yeah, about absolutely. the people you work with that inspired him you know that the the use like say if you're editing what i do i know you're coming from the point of view of trusting what i do and finding it funny if you've got yeah. someone who doesn't know what you do isn't on side and they're just trying to find a way in it's not necessarily the best thing no, so exactly. yeah i don't i think it's sadly it's a thing you wouldn't see so much now and and to the detriment of it really luckily we still have things like social media there where people mm. like him can put things out all the time and obviously yeah. the live stuff he does and all the radio stuff he does and all the mm. podcast stuff he does. So there's so many, there's so many other avenues. I think that's the only, you know, the positive that there is yeah. nowadays is there are so many places you can still see him, hear him. Um, and anyone else, just uh, people can self-generate things, you know. Yeah, that's and, it. So and, then there's that, yeah. And you, it's funny because doing something like this, obviously we had the people in the room again and there were about, I don't know, 30 or so. Um, yeah. But, as you're doing something like this, you're thinking about people's tiredness levels. You're thinking about all kinds of things. Yeah. But again, people were just expressing how much they were enjoying his company. And that's yeah. this is proof that there's a pocket of people who just want to hear what someone like him has to say. And that's yeah. where we're lucky to be the sort of be a part of that, really. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about. And that's where it's, this it feels weirdly nice to be doing this at this time, particularly mm. at this time, because it gives people that you know, that 
that sort of option to to do that and sit down and listen. I think, and the people have generally, I think, have got more time to yeah. sit back and do things like this. So it's it's nice to to, to be able to um, offer them. Yeah, and it's the thing I said about I don't think if you were trying to promote this as an idea about two or three months ago. People yeah. wouldn't go, oh, I've got to download Zoom and I've got to, you know, whereas yeah. people's, we're all part of this now. So yeah. people are prepared to do yeah. it, which is great, you know. Um, but yeah, so that was that. Um, we obviously have, as we always say, other episodes of the podcast already available. Um, the last two with Arthur Smith and with Norman Lovett and Kate Robbins. Uh, we're also in the process in the coming weeks of recording some more new ones. So there'll be plenty of new guests coming up uh, in the next few weeks. So uh, wherever you subscribe to your podcast, wherever you found this, subscribe to us. Follow Doggett and Fgrave on Podbean or wherever it might be. Yep. And you'll see the new episodes when they pop up and the old ones too. Yeah. And thank you uh, for you. If you've got to this point and you're still listening, thank you very much for win a sticking with us. <laughs> yeah, you do You do win a medal. We'll have to kind of make that medal and um, ship it out yeah. to you somehow. Yeah. Um, but that will happen. Um, yeah, so, do the post. So just, do, the, just yeah. do the post, Glenn. Yeah, the, the, yeah that's true. the thing. True. Still, still, like, still, sh- ship it out sounds really dramatic. But, you made it someone yeah. like freight, like we've got to true. send it. But yeah, <laughs> just, just I, I was thinking a big thing, a big big trophy, but you know. Oh, I'm not going to do that, Glenn. What would be the point? Would I mean, it'd be, it wouldn't even be a loss leader. We'd be spending so much money on this trophy. What do it's we true. get from it? We're not. We're giving it away. We're not selling it. Well, this is it. I suppose we should, yeah. Yeah. This is so why to... you won't be an entrepreneur, Glenn. You don't think you're, you're right. too busy you're giving right. people trophies rather than right. selling them. Okay, I don't you, won't, you won't get it. You won't get a trophy. You won't get. There's no trophy. No. No, All no, you no, get no. is we've taken some of your time away. All right. Yes. If you want to take more, listen to the other episodes. That's your choice. And on that slightly bitter note, um, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening to more than mostly comedy. Uh, Thank we'll you. See you next time. Goodbye for now. <laughs>